Good evening to you all. My name is Mike Lee. I'm Associate Professor of Marketing at the University of Auckland Business School. It's my pleasure to act as the MC for tonight's webinar uh, entitled, I Told You So, Word of Mouth. What is it? Does it work? And how can I use it? So I'm delighted to introduce tonight's speaker, Dr. Bodo Lang, Associate Professor of Marketing. His career is a blend of experience, both from the commercial and academic sectors. Now, his commercial career began in Germany in advertising, after which he worked as a management consultant in New Zealand for Deloitte Consulting, a global consulting firm. Following this, Bodo held a senior management position in Singapore at NFO World Group. At the time, it was the world's third largest market research firm. The other half of Bodo's career has been in academia, where he has held a number of academic and leadership positions at a number of institutions. He conducts research in services marketing, marketing for public good, and advertising and marketing communications. So to tonight's guest speaker, Associate Professor Bodo Lang. Thank you very much, Mike. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Good evening, everybody. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Have listened to somebody from the University of Auckland about a topic that really seems so intuitive that you might be asking yourself, uh, why would we even bother studying this? But that makes it really interesting to me, this, this particular topic, word of mouth. So the title is word of mouth, what is it, does it work, and how can I use it? I did my PhD on this topic uh, quite some years ago, and what I really liked about it is that it's one of those phenomena that occurs naturally. It happens when you talk to friends, to family, to whanau, to business colleagues, about the gym that you might belong to, the restaurant that you went out to last night, uh, a really good movie that you saw. So it's just there. It's just part of the fabric of everyday conversation. And that's what really appealed to me. And that's why I wanted to understand it a little bit more. Uh, and, and I chose it as my PhD topic. And I'm really glad I did. And you should be glad too, because that means I can share a few little insights with you here tonight. So I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. I've got five things I'd love to talk to you about. What is word of mouth? Is word of mouth important? Why is word of mouth important? Why do consumers engage in word of mouth? And how can organizations actually use word of mouth? And when I mean organizations, I don't just mean commercial businesses. It could be your local Rotary Club. It could be a not-for-profit. It could be a church. It could be a sports club. It could be anything. So businesses, small and large, but any type of organization can utilize word of mouth for their purposes. But let's get stuck with the first question that I've got. What is word of mouth? Well, it seems kind of maybe so obvious, but, you know, I think it's important to define something before you really start talking about it in more detail. So when I first started reading about this, you know, it was pretty obvious to see that there were many different definitions and they all had sort of a common core, basically. And one of the common core elements is that it's informal communication between consumers about a product or a service. It's something that just happens naturally. It's part of everyday conversation. And when I say informal communication, what I mean by that is that nobody is getting a commercial uh, incentive or nobody's incentivized to talk about a brand. If that's what you're doing as a business or as an organization or as an influencer, then technically that's not word of mouth communication anymore. That's something different that I'll talk about in a few minutes. So it's informal communication between consumers 
back in the old days uh, where really face-to-face -face conversation was the key. Uh, it was always, you know, two or more. Uh, but of course, now with the internet and social media, you know, it could be one to many. So it could be me, you know, saying something on a social media channel on LinkedIn, for example, where you can follow me if you want to. Uh, and, you know, we might have some sort of dialogue there about some sort of brand. Maybe the Raise the Bar uh, event by the University of Auckland. Generally, family members are considered to be part of word of mouth. And that really makes sense if you think about it, because a lot of products are bought uh, within this family buying group, the family, you know, when you go grocery shopping or holidays or cars. But there are also other items that we buy within families that are not necessarily bought as a family. So if you have children, you might say, well, they might go off to different events and you might exchange some word of mouth about what movie that you think they should see. And they might tell you other sorts of things. So it's all wrapped up uh, in word of mouth, basically. Now, I know you can't wait to, for the official definition of word of mouth, but the definition that I've chosen is word of mouth is informal communication about a product or a service that can occur between two or more consumers. So again, the key there is informal. So we're not really incentivizing anybody. It's naturally occurring. It's just what people do once they've had an experience uh, with a product or a brand. Now, this seems all just too easy, and I can just see people going, well, what about this and what about this? So, so let me see if I can demarcate word of mouth just a little bit more. So let me separate it out from things that are pretty similar, but they're not the same. So let's start with a, with a slightly obvious one first, compliments and complaints. So let's say you went last night to a beautiful restaurant, uh, and, you know, Afterwards, you just talk to your partner, you thought that was fantastic, the food was great, really tasty, the price was okay, the service was fantastic. Uh, and then later on, you basically call the restaurant to give them a compliment. Well, that is obviously not word of mouth because you're sharing it with the entity that you bought the service from. So word of mouth is always between two consumers, the sender and the receiver, and the receiver might then go back to the sender. So there's a bit of a ping pong match going on with compliments and complaints as really a consumer to a company directly or maybe to a third party such as the um, consumer magazine, for example, if you really want to complain about a business. So that's word of mouth and compliments and complaints, just separated a little bit. Let's talk about something that's just a little bit closer. Rumors, gossip, urban legends. They're pretty similar, but often these three things are not necessarily about commercial experiences, but they might just be about things that are happening in the marketplace or not even in the marketplace. They're just general things. So they don't necessarily have to be about a movie or a, uh, an airplane flight or anything else. So, so the big difference here is, is that word of mouth is always about something that you've bought, you know, a product or a service or an experience. But rumors, gossips, and urban legends can be about all sorts of things. And often they're quite historic. So don't, they don't really require anybody to have bought anything. Now let's get to the third one, which is already it's getting pretty close to word of mouth, and it's recommendations. And you might say, well, hang on, that, that's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Well, actually, it's not. If you think about word of mouth, there are different types of word of mouth, factual word of mouth, so just stating the information. So, for example, oh, the movie featured Pierre Brosnan and, uh, and Tom Cruise, you know, so it's just factual information. You could relay how you reacted to, the, to your service experience. You could say, look, I loved Top Gun. It was just fantastic. So you're just relating your emotion. Or you could say something that 
is a recommendation. So something behavioral, you could say something like, look, the movie featured Tom Cruise. I really loved it. And I really think you should, you should watch it too. So now we've got all three of those aspects together, factual, emotional, and behavioral. But recommendations, they're only really just behavioral. So it's a subset of word of mouth, if you like. The fourth kind of word pair that I just wanted to briefly talk about is buzz marketing or referral marketing. Remember a couple of minutes ago, I said one of the key elements of word of mouth is that it's not commercial. So nobody's pay, being paid to say anything. It's just a naturally occurring phenomenon. But if you start paying people, your customers or maybe word of mouth agents, that's when you go into these other terms, buzz marketing or referral marketing, because you're actually paying a sender to spread a message. So that's the difference there between word of mouth and buzz marketing and referral marketing. So I hope I've sorted this out and we've got a really good conceptual, clear understanding of what, what word of mouth is. Question two was, what is word of mouth important? Well, you can probably imagine that I wouldn't have bothered studying for, you know, four years uh, on my PhD on something that is not important. Uh, so I'm pleased to tell you that in a nutshell, yes, it's very important. If you've ever read uh, any academic papers, particularly in the social sciences, they tend to be very measured and guarded in their language and, and you know, very, you know, use words like likely and, you know, perhaps and probability and all these sort of you know, words that, you know, that, that diminished, you know, the impact of language. But I've got a couple of quotes here about word of mouth, all by academics who have studied the phenomenon. And hopefully they'll just give you a little bit of a sense of how important word of mouth is. Word of mouth is the gift that keeps on giving. Word of mouth is the one number you need to grow your business. Word of mouth is a dominant force in the marketplace. Word of mouth is a response that may be among the most important. Word of mouth is the ultimate test of the customer's relationship. And word of mouth is the world's most, under, most effective, yet least understood marketing practice. So hopefully you're just getting a little bit of a sense of, you know, how these guarded, highly educated academics were normally very careful with their language, how they've just really let it rip. And they've really, you know, spoke rather enthusiastically about the power of word of mouth. And so in a nutshell, word of mouth is very important. It really has a very, very big impact on consumers, on what they think, feel, and do. And why is this? Well, it's because word of mouth is everywhere. For example, 20% of all tweets contain the mention of a brand name. So if you're on Twitter, there's a really good chance that you're exposed to something that is actually commercial. Another study found that in one week, the average American consumer engages in 121 uh, word of mouth episodes of which 76% contain a specific brand name. And so that's in just America, 2.3 billion conversations about brands every single day. So if you are exposed to word of mouth, what it does to us, it heightens what researchers call your emotional arousal, basically. So if somebody talks to you, perhaps enthusiastically, uses facial expressions, gestures, that increases your emotional arousal as a receiver of the message. Uh, and what positive word of mouth does is to a receiver, it induces enthusiasm and confidence and optimism, and it brightens one's day. So if you think about this, if you've talked to anybody and they've given you a really positive word of mouth episode about something that they've experienced recently, 
you can just see how that can happen. It just picks you up a little bit and it influences your emotional state, how you feel, even though you weren't part of that consumption experience at all. Word of mouth also has an impact on what we think and how we think. As a marketer, of course, we're really interested in you know, increasing whatever it is that we're selling, in, in increasing the target audience's awareness of that thing. And so word of mouth has been shown to be really effective in increasing brand awareness, for example. It can also increase your expectations about a brand or a service. If somebody speaks very highly to you about a particular motorbike they you know test rode maybe on the weekend and they they you know they rhapsodize about it and they speak very highly of it well immediately your expectations of what that motorbike will perform like will be much higher compared to you not receiving that word of mouth so if somebody speaks positively enthusiastically about a brand it is almost a catch-22 because it increases your expectations about that brand's performance before you've even tried the brand so it makes it harder for the brand to fulfill those expectations. Uh, you also have much better retrieval from memory about the brand. So again, if somebody speaks with great enthusiasm and has lots of great examples of how they loved, you know, that particular restaurant or whatever it is they've bought, uh, it just makes it really easy for you to recall that, uh, that, uh, that episode and that brand, which is embedded in that consumption episode. And the technical term for that is diagnosticity. So, you know, that, that type of knowledge is very accessible and diagnostic and it helps you make your own decisions. So we've talked about word of mouth affects feelings, you know, what you feel and what you think, but it also affects what you do. If a new brand launches in the market at day zero without any advertising, nobody will know that brand. So what advertisers or what marketers typically do is they tend to advertise to increase brand awareness so that people say, oh, there is that, that new business out there, you know, a new type of product in the supermarket perhaps, or a new, a new car, Tesla, never heard of that. Mm, I wonder what that's like. Uh, and then word of mouth also starts filtering through. But of course, that can only happen once people have actually had an experience with that car but it encourages product trials. So that's really important, particularly for products where there's quite a bit of risk. So that's where we really like to rely on our social network to reduce that perceived risk. And risk might have a couple of different dimensions. Might be financial risk, so an expensive purchase, a house, a car, a holiday, all pretty expensive things. So there's financial risk. And word of mouth helps just reduce and bring down that financial risk. There can also be psychological risk. And you think, well, what psychological risk? Well, think about buying clothes, buying glasses, you know, trying out a new deodorant, uh, taking your first date uh, to a restaurant. You know, there is psychological risk involved for sure. And word of mouth helps us to reduce those risks because when we rely on people who are in our social network, we, we trust them and their judgment because we already have an established relationship that is non-commercial. And they know us pretty well. They know our likes and dislikes and what, what we might appreciate. And so therefore, their word weighs pretty heavily on what we think and feel and eventually do. Word of mouth can also encourage brand switching. And that's really important for, for many brands, particularly if you're in a subscription type industry where things are pretty frozen. So think banking, for example, that is a subscription, even though you don't think about it maybe like a subscription to a magazine. But Every month, you know, your subscription just rolls over. You just keep continuing being a member of that particular bank. Well, think about gyms. You know, that is very much a subscription type service. So brand switching is also affected by word of mouth. 
Uh, word of mouth has a high short-term and long-term impact on signups to websites, for example, uh, and it's eight and a half times higher than that of traditional marketing activities. So word of mouth can really pack a punch. But of course, always when I tell you stats like this, always just, just take them with a little grain of salt because it always you know, depends on how powerful was that particular type of word of mouth. Maybe they, you know, they had such a fantastic experience about the sign-up process on the website that you know, it became incredibly powerful and more powerful than traditional marketing. Winning new customers is really expensive. Holding on to them is much, much cheaper. And so once you've uh, acquired customers, what you really want to do is you want to hold on to them for as long as you can and ideally make sure that there's a really valuable uh, and reciprocal uh, relationship going on. And word of mouth impact is, is really you know, far-reaching and long-lasting for the business as well. Because if you think of financial goals, so we've stepped away a bit from the consumer now, if you look at financial goals, well, there's a really big impact that word of mouth can pack. So here are some stats. 60% of a leading US company's sales were generated on the basis of word of mouth. Word of mouth acquired customers have a 16% greater value than other acquired customers. In other words, Consumers who join your company because they've been recommended to do so by people in their social network have a higher financial value than those customers who just kind of walked in the door or saw one of your ads. Negative word of mouth can also really pack a punch. A 1% increase in dissatisfied customers can erode what's called your net present value by 1.8%. So if you're a large company, your net present value is basically something that you're very, you know, very keen on, on, on maintaining as highly as possible. Uh, so 1% increase in negative word of mouth can have a 1.8% decrease in your net present value. So that's pretty bad. And word of mouth drives 13% of consumer sales. So these are just some stats from different studies in different categories, different countries. So they don't always hold exactly like this if you're running your own business, but it just gives you a sense of what impact word of mouth can have. And the answer is quite an impact. So we've talked about what is word of mouth. We've talked about word of mouth is really important. And the logical third question really is why is word of mouth so important? So what I've done here is I've borrowed an idea from, it's called media planning, which was one of my first careers in advertising back in Germany. And in media planning, we often talk about two variables, reach and impact. So how many people do you reach in your target audience? And when you reach those people, what is the impact of that media contact, of them seeing the ad? And so I've just come up with a little model that you know just has a number of factors about reach and impact, basically. And the first factor is basically for reach is that when you have word of mouth, you can have what's called multiple dyads. Multiple dyads basically just means that one sender cannot just talk to one person, but they can talk to two, three, four, five, ten people. So multiple dyads. One sender can reach just one person or multiple people. And that has a huge, huge impact on how far or not word of mouth might spread. The second big, big factor under reach is retransmission. So once a sender has sent a message to a receiver, they might have a bit of a conversation about that consumption experience, but then that receiver of that message might go, oh, you know what, that was such a good story. I really want to share that. So retransmission then occurs, 
And you can now, if you've been paying close attention, you might just be seeing there's a similarity here between word of mouth and viruses. And that's no surprise because many of the underlying ways of explaining how word of mouth spreads are exactly like viruses. And that's why we sometimes call um, commercial word of mouth viral marketing as well. So they can spread just like a virus through your population. Nobody gets killed, which is good, but at least a message gets spread because a business might have done a very good or a very bad job. The third factor under, under reach is that word of mouth can spread really rapidly through a target market, and that's been shown to exist across many different markets. The fourth factor is that a high proportion of consumers rely on word of mouth. And so a lot of people, when they're buying something, they really are looking for that, for that insight from their circle of friends. The next factor is that a high proportion of consumers engage in word of mouth. And if you think about this, this is one of those things. A lot of people talk about you know, consumption experiences. They're not trying to support or bring down a business. They're just making polite conversation. If they had a particularly outrageous experience with you know, a, a restaurant or at a movie theater or whatever it might be, uh, then that might be a good lunchtime you know, entertainment kind of thing. Another factor that really impacts the reach of word of mouth is that it's effective across all sorts of different product categories. So we don't just talk about the really exciting stuff. Admittedly, we probably talk about those things a little bit more, but even if something that is relatively mundane goes horribly wrong, we would still talk about that because that might make a good story. And the last factor for reach is that word occurs no matter where you are. So it can occur in any country, any culture, and there are many, many hundreds of studies on word of mouth and where it happens. And the, the first ones really originated in the late 50s, so after the Second World War, uh, and they were really sort of placed within the context of the Cold War and how propaganda in Russia was starting to take shape uh, and how maize growers in Iowa would talk about fertilizers for their maize. And so that's where it started. But really many studies have shown that word of mouth works across all sorts of different countries and cultures. So that was the first factor, reach. The next factor is impact. So when somebody is reached by that message, what's the impact of the message on the receiver? Word of mouth is seen as credible, trustworthy, and reliable because it generally comes from people in our social network and we really value those opinions. We also have the ability to give feedback. So if I'm receiving a message from you and I need a bit of clarification or just need to understand something a bit better, I can give feedback and I can ask a question, I can you know, clarify something. And that really helps to cement the impact of the message. It can be tailored and personal. And if you're a really good communicator, which I hope you are, uh, then ideally you, you tailor your communication to the person that you're talking to. And so if you're talking to your grandparents, you might you know, explain a consumption experience a little bit differently compared to when you talk to you know, maybe a 10-year-old boy or girl. So you, know, you can tailor your message and that increases the impact on, of the message on the receiver. As I mentioned earlier, word of mouth is really accessible and diagnostic. And that's because we use facial expression, colorful language, um, uh, gestures, you know, we use all these sorts of things uh, to make the message interesting and entertaining, and that makes it accessible and diagnostic for the receiver. Word of mouth has different kind of components, or there's different types. It can be objective, it could be emotional, or it could be behavioral, that you're recommending somebody to do something or not to do something. Do not take that particular taxi company. They were horrible. 
And the last factor that really pushes that impact that word of mouth has on receivers is that word of mouth, unlike any other marketing communication, it tends to range from very positive, which is what generally advertising is, to very negative. And so word of mouth can be any of those things. It could be exclusively negative, exclusively positive. It could be a mixture or it could just be neutral if you had a so-so experience. And so that's my nice little, I hope anyway, summary of why word of mouth packs such a punch. It's the reach and the impact, and those two factors are driven by multiple uh, drivers. This brings us to our fourth question, which is, so why do consumers engage in word of mouth? Now, if you've been paying any attention, I've just slipped you a little bit of a lemon there, because engagement is one of those words that we all use. And, and one of our professors in the department, this is very much his research area, uh, and he's done some fantastic work on it. But often engagement doesn't mean much to people. And so I've slipped it in there to see if anybody walks and then comes up with something. Engagement here really means, well, there's, there's two sides, remember, there's a sender and there's a receiver. And so we need to really look at those two sides. And so why do people send word of mouth? And so what are the motivations behind people naturally engaging and sharing their consumption experiences with others? Well, there's kind of two big camps, if you like. The first big set of motivations is really self-centered. And one of them might be involvement. So you're highly involved with that particular product and involvement, just to give you a very short textbook definition, is your perceived personal relevance of a stimulus. And so for me, cycling, very important because I'm a road cyclist and a mountain biker. But Mike, I know he's not a big cyclist to him. Surfing is really high involvement. And so involvement has a, uh, is a big driver of how likely we are to talk about something. We also like to establish cognitive clarity in our mind. Once we've experienced something, talking it through with somebody else gives us cognitive clarity and just clears things up and, and allows us to have a, like a simplified version of reality in our mind. Self-confirmation is another one of those self-centered motivations. It allows us to confirm that what we do is the right thing and that our decisions are the right ones and really the best ones. And you know, you can, if you take a cold hard look at yourself, you sometimes probably share things with others just to make yourself a little, feel a little bit better about yourself. Word of mouth also really helps to be seen uh, well-informed from your own perspective, but also from others' perspective. There's also a couple of other motivations why we like to talk about word of mouth. So if you want to help people, then word of mouth is really useful. Whether you've had a really positive or really negative service experience, Telling other people about not to go to a particular hotel or not to stay at a particular campground or to really avoid this particular great walk at that weekend because it was just too full, those are really helpful things for people to know. And so therefore, altruism, our desire to help other people is also a motivator for word of mouth. So this is why people engage in word of mouth, why they send it. So why do we seek and follow word of mouth? Well, it's trustworthy, credible. It means I'm conforming to norms because we all like to fit in. We like to fit into our different reference groups that we have. It might be the family, and then it's our people at work, and then maybe it's my sports club or whatever it is. You know, and fitting in is really important. Word of mouth helps us to establish what are the social norms in the in a reference group. It helps us to re reduce risk. Uh, it simplifies my decision making. If I'm about to make a really big decision and somebody else has already made that decision, well. I can save myself a huge amount of time by listening to what that person's consumption experience was like. So it's a time saver. And it's also a way to support, uh, to receive social support. 
So those are some of the reasons why people like to send word of mouth and why they like to receive and act on word of mouth. And that brings us to our last question, and that is really how can organizations utilize word of mouth? And remember what I said right at the start, when I say organizations, I don't just mean businesses. Yes, businesses certainly can use word of mouth to their advantage, but if you're part of a community club, uh, you're part of an iwi, you're part of a sports club, rotary, a church, whatever it is, you know, think about how word of mouth might assist your organization in, in hitting your goals for your organization. And so the very first tip I would have is that a lot of research has found that there's all sorts of drivers and the fancy academic way of saying this is antecedents. So they are precursors. So these are the things, if this is word of mouth, these are things that drive word of mouth behavior. And generally the most accepted ones are satisfaction, customer satisfaction or my value perception. If I go somewhere and I don't think I received good value for what I paid, maybe my meal was delicious, but boy, it was expensive. You know, so my satisfaction might be relatively high because it was a really good experience, but my value perception is really low because the food was very expensive. Well, I might not be able to, or I might not be willing to talk to that, uh, to others about that. So the first tip I really have is for you in your organization, whatever organization it might be, to drive the drivers of word of mouth. And that really goes to the heart of marketing. The heart of marketing is not persuasion. The heart of marketing is listen really closely to what consumers want, and then constructing a product or a service experience that meets exactly those needs and those wants. And so if you're in a business, what you really want to do is you want to really understand what consumers are looking for, and then making sure that your service um, experience or your product is really aligned with your customers' needs and wants. And so that will drive the drivers, customer satisfaction, value, commitment, loyalty, all these good things. And once you drive those drivers, you know what that's going to drive? Word of mouth. So that's number one, drive the drivers. My second tip for you would be to really stimulate word of mouth, and that is give them something to talk about. I remember when I first arrived in New Zealand, which is now many, many years ago, I joined a, one of the big banks first up, and it was, you know, good experience, but really nothing new. And then I joined a much smaller one. It was called Bank Direct. And Bank Direct sent me something in the mail. They sent me a big welcome present, and I was flabbergasted. No bank had ever sent me a welcome present. And so what did I do? I rhapsodized to all of my friends about this. And I said, this is unbelievable. Look what they've sent me. It was a big box full of goodies. And it was just fantastic. And remember, at that time, I had just finished my master's. So I wasn't exactly in the top 1% of income earners either. I wasn't a high value client just yet, still striving to be there. But so that was something that gave me something, they gave me something to talk about, basically, you know, so they gave me something that's interesting, something that was surprising. So it's really about stimulating word of mouth. So that's my second tip. And then my third tip is, and I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm now deviating just a little bit from word of mouth to the other related concepts we talked about, is, is to simulate word of mouth. So, you know, you can incentivize word of mouth. If you have a small business and you, you know, you think your customers are genuinely really happy, you could say, look, I would love you to leave a, a recommendation or a really friendly review on Facebook or on, you know, Twitter, on whatever it is. So, so please talk about it. So that would be fantastic. And if you have a complaint, then talk to me directly 
So you, you capture that negative word of mouth before it gets out and it allows you to make your business better. But encourage your customers. Um, it, it allows your customers to really talk positively about your business. And that's really what you want because looking after your customers, customers that's what marketing is all about. And so that is my third tip. So first tip, drive the drivers of word of mouth. Second one is stimulate word of mouth. Give them something to talk about. And number three is you can simulate word of mouth. So if it's not naturally occurring or it's not occurring as strongly as you would like it, well, see if you can do something to very softly encourage people to, to engage in word of mouth. But don't make it contrived. Don't tell them what to say. If it's contrived, if it's not, not authentic, it's going to totally backfire on you. And that could be really, really bad. So particularly with social media and people taking to the keywords rather quickly. So think about those things that I've outlined. And that really brings me uh, to the end of my talk. So what we've talked about is we've talked about what is word of mouth? Is word of mouth important? Why is it so important? Where do most, uh, and, and how, can, how can organizations use word of mouth? And so we've talked about those things. I really hope that you've taken something interesting away from this talk. And I'm really looking forward to having a bit of a conversation with you now. Over to you, Mike. Thank you for that, Bodo. Um, my first question, well, you've kind of gave some, some examples, but what in your mind is, is sort of the best example of uh, commercial word of mouth beyond the bank direct thing that you just mentioned? So there's a really interesting study. This is going back a wee while, but I just want to show people that, you know, word of mouth has existed for a long time, ever since we sat around a fireplace and shared stories, basically. You know, where do you get the freshest antelope? You know, well, somebody tells you. Well, in the late, um, this is in the late 60s, uh, sorry, in the early 60s in America, Chrysler was bringing out a new car, the new Plymouth. And what they did is they thought, okay, well, how can we, how can we get word out about the Chrysler Plymouth? And so what they did is they said uh, they had these 5,000 mystery riders. So these were people that were sitting in the back of taxi cabs in big cities in the States. And if one of the taxi drivers was overheard by one of those mystery passengers, overheard talking about the Chrysler, the passenger would say, you know what, I'm being paid by Chrysler, I'm giving you $5 right now, because you've talked about the new Chrysler. And so what happened is, if you're a taxi driver, you're, you know, your, earn, your earnings are basically very much determined by the, by the, by the meter and where you're going. But this was a completely legitimate topic to talk about. While you're in the confines of a car, to just kind of lean over the back and talk to your passenger and say, oh, there's this new Chrysler coming out from, you know, da-da-da. And so it was a really, really successful, uh, one of the first documented examples of word of mouth, basically. Where in this modern day and age does most of the word of mouth conversations take place? And if you say social media, which I suspect you might, Given that we have, you know, social media and influencers, um, how can consumers still trust word of mouth? That's a great question. And, and clearly you're an academic. Multi-part questions are always good ones. So, so the first part is, and this is something that always blows my students away, um, the vast majority of word of mouth conversations. So it's not just somebody saying, oh, I went to this movie and it was great. And then maybe people reading it, maybe not. But word of mouth conversation is basically a conversation between a sender and receiver. So there's something definitely going back and forth. Most of those word of mouth conversations, the vast majority of them is still occurring offline. And the vast majority is face-to-face, -face, which to me is always really surprising. 
But then I think about my own social media or just online behavior. And I think, well, yes, often somebody might say, oh, I went to this restaurant. It was terrible or really good. But I don't really engage in a conversation with that person. But nevertheless, I've still received the word of mouth. But if you just keep the definition really tight and say word of mouth conversations, where actually there's a dialogue going on, most of those are still offline, which is really surprising. Now, your second part was really interesting as well. Um, which information sources should you trust? And, you know, let's just broaden our thinking here a little bit. So it's not just about commercial experiences, but maybe it's about information that is important to get right. So COVID information or car safety information or which drugs are safe or, you know, all these sorts of bigger issues. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get that information from social media, from people that I do not know. So I would always go to inf official information sources or to people that I know I can really trust. So if I have a medical doctor in my, in my social network and I have some sort of medical question and I don't want to shell out the money to, to see my GP, I might talk to that person. So I would really rely on word of mouth by people that I know. The only exception to that is maybe if you have thousands of reviews, you know, and opinions about a particular place, but then even then, Research has shown that sometimes some of those reviews are misleading. And I've been, um, I've read about a, a case from the Commerce Commission, you know, where one of the platforms, one of the accommodation platforms in New Zealand actually deliberately changed some of the reviews that were left. So these were authentic reviews left by users. And then the platform changed the reviews and just, just massaged some details out and just manipulated them a little bit to, to and it also manipulated the star rating. So not just the writing, but also the star rating. So, the, my first bet is maybe I'm just old-fashioned and maybe I've just been researching for this too long, but I would always stick with people I know or, or people I can actually see and touch, you know, because that's what I understand and there's value there. Yeah, and I guess well, this this idea of uh, review fraud, uh, which really, uh, you know, must be rife and very difficult for the average consumer to detect. Uh, and I guess that really abuses the, the psychological trust that we have in things like word of mouth, uh, almost poisoning the well, so to speak, for, for legitimate businesses that actually do thrive on, on authentic word of mouth. So mm -hmm. if you were, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm not sure if we can answer this question, but what can legitimate businesses do to combat this, the rise of reviewer fraud and, and general mistrust of word of mouth? It's a really tricky one. I think um, obviously some platforms have used um, have have really forced users who want to leave a review for these to be validated, and that's you know that's great because it means there's a there's just a little bit more trust around these, which is fantastic. But the problem is, of course, what you really want as a business is you want to make it as easy and as seamless as possible uh, to leave a review. You know, even if it's just a star rating. And I'll just give you an example. I tried to leave one earlier today. And they said, oh, I'm enjoying this app. And I thought, yes, I am. So I left five stars and then said, oh, you have to create an account and log <laughs> in. And I thought, well, I immediately I canceled. And so, you know, there was a barrier and immediately I canceled. So the, the plus is when you have verified reviews that, you know, you actually get people that are real people. But the downside is, is that you're basically getting rid of people like me who are lazy. <laughs> and so you're really reducing the, the volume of reviews and of word of mouth that you're getting. Right. Oh, we have a question here from an Ed Ellington. He says, hi, Bodo. Thanks for a great presentation. A question on the drivers of word of mouth. What weighting would you place on the product versus the service? Mm, that's a great question. Um, it's really hard to give uh, really 
general answers to this, but the, the best way I can think about this is that this really goes back to marketing 101. It's really, what are you buying when you're buying that product or that service? And if it's something where there's a bit of a product involved, but there's also a service component, then you've really got to ask yourself, well, which of those is more important? Which of those will I experience for longer? And so often in retail, for example, there might be a service experience in the store, but that's ultimately not linked to the brand that you're buying. So if I'm buying a sports watch, for example, you know, really the service that I'm experiencing is, is kind of by the retailer, which is not an entity that's directly linked to the brand of sports watch I'm buying. But generally speaking, it's so that's a general comment I would make is, you know, it's just to see it's important to figure out which of those two components is more important for consumers when they buy the service. Um, what I would also say is that often it's very, it's relatively easy to get to product parity. And so, you know, people might be really disappointed about this, particularly from a German, you know, all the good brands of cars come from Germany, but, you know, really, if you think about it, these cars, you know, they have a different label on them. They have different flavors, but really, if you think about, Will they get you safely from A to B and will they look good? Yes, all of them will do the job, you know, so there's relatively little differentiation in a way. Um, there's very little service component, but, but often when you think of products, you know, the products are kind of, you know, similar really, but maybe the service component is, is the component where you can really differentiate yourself from the competition. And the best example I can think of here is tourism, you know, or anything that has a heavy service component. Um, if people are really friendly in a restaurant, gym um, then that's really useful but you also have to be mindful of of where's the where's the tipping point when does friendly become too friendly when becomes when does funny become too funny when does i don't know wanting to help become too much too invasive and so there are all these soft boundaries and it takes quite a skilled person to find out look where are the boundaries here where, up to what point is it useful and authentic for me as a service provider and it, from which point onwards does it become actually a hindrance and people get a little bit annoyed because it's, it's too much you know i'm just here here to enjoy my service you know i just want to eat, enjoy my food right now thanks you know we've all experienced when a uh, a sales rep is just a little bit too helpful and we're just browsing <laughs> uh versus the extreme which is like now i'm looking around for help and no one's everyone's ignoring me right yeah yeah, yeah. um Oh, we have another question here from Michelle Moore. Um, she asks, can you describe driving the drivers in a bit more detail, please? Yes, absolutely I can. Um, so the driving the drivers really means that if, if word of mouth is your intended outcome, you want to really stimulate word of mouth, and you have to think about, well, what are the things that are driving word of mouth? And so having really satisfied customers is really important. Um, customer commitment uh, can be really important, particularly if it's something uh, that lends itself to having some sort of commitment. So, if, for example, if you're the, you know, Auckland Warriors, well, there will be certain fans with a certain commitment, you know. Talking about customer satisfaction is maybe slightly wrong in that context, but customer commitment could be a better variable. And so it's, it's really, the key there really is to understand how your product offer stacks up against that of the competition and then making sure that you are, what you're offering is superior in the eyes of your target market. And so... Driving the drivers really means that, and best example I can think of is retail. If anybody's here from retail, I really apologize. You might be running a fantastic retail store, but my observation is that many retail stores could do so much better in New Zealand. Um, often there are underpaid staff, you know, because, you know, we're all stingy with our money and so they can't afford to pay high wages. 
And often I wonder how well trained these people are, you know, how, how well trained were they when they started? Did they have a really good induction? Were they taken by the hand, you know, with a really experienced and a, like an ace who gives really good product, um, sorry, customer service. And the thing to me is always, if you have really friendly people in a retail environment, in a store, in a restaurant, it's so easy. It's free. I don't have to give away money. I don't have to discount my product. I don't have to give you an extra lesson. I don't have to, nothing. It's just free. And so driving the drivers really is understanding what makes consumers choose you and then really ideally overachieving the expectation. And I'm the first to admit that that's really hard to do on a repetitive basis. You can't always exceed expectations. It's just impossible. Like, like you know, so, but, but occasionally you want to get your customers really enthusiastic and make them apostles of your store. Thanks for that, but that, Yeah, that's a great explanation. And I guess that your answer also leads back to what um, I think it was Ed that asked earlier, is it the product or the service? I guess if it's about exceeding expectations, and as you mentioned, product parity can occur quite easily when you have a situation, particularly in mature markets, when all the products have kind of equalized across the board, it's like, well, what else can we do to increase uh, customer satisfaction, thereby driving word of mouth? And I guess service is a good a good thing that allows companies to add that little bit of pizzazz in there to get people thinking, oh, wow, you know, I came in to buy, I don't know, a handbag or a watch, but the service was really exceptional. Yep, absolutely, Mike. And I think the, I think the really interesting thing there is I used to do a lot of research in banking and and, you know, if you think of banks, you know, it's a pretty straightforward service and really how much differentiation, if you just look at exactly what happens, you know, check accounts, savings accounts, transfers, you know, there's virtually no differentiation. The only differentiation we have is in terms of branding, you know, we have a, you know, a yellow one, a green, you know, we've got all these different colors, but the actual product that you're getting or the service is pretty similar. But the difference you can make with really well-trained staff, you know, for example, really good personal bankers is massive. And so our research has found that if you have average personal bankers, they actually generate negative word of mouth. Uh, and if you have really, really good personal bankers, they really, you know, catapult your brand to the top of the word of mouth charts. The final question for you, Bada, is by Ivan Kratovich. Are there are online reviews, for example, restaurants really word of mouth? There is no conversation and they can vary widely. They're very subjective. Who do you trust? Yeah, that's a great question. And it goes back right to the start of where I define word of mouth. And technically, if it's a review, you know, a recommendation, then technically that's maybe not, you know, if you're very narrow-minded about it, that's not technically word of mouth. Um, there's no conversation. And um, what I've done is I've, I think you're right. If you, if you, word of mouth doesn't necessarily have to have a huge conversational element, but typically it does, particularly if you use speaking face-to-face uh, it really makes sense. But online, of course, there's very little of a, of a conversational element. So as I said earlier, I would be really careful trusting people, certainly single reviews, um, you know, of certain service providers. If there seems to be like a, a groundswell of evidence, you know, like there's 5,000 reviews about a particular product that, and everybody says this is fantastic. Well, that, that's pretty good. Um, but if, it's, if there are very few reviews, I would be really, really careful. Uh, and uh, if it's a brand I've never heard of, I hope you're really, really careful. Uh, and I would always try to seek out some sort of um, mechanism that allows me just to reduce that risk. And my go-to is often if I have to buy a big appliance, you know, I, it's nothing too exciting like a fridge or a washing machine, but you, you want to get it right, but it's not exciting stuff to talk about. 
you know, I would go to the consumer magazine and basically look at, you know, you know, I actually don't need somebody's opinion on this, but but I need a, a proper objective test. And so I would go to a trusted source, um, for example, the consumer magazine, and they don't muck around. You know, they have have very objective performance standards that they use to test a machine against. And so it's not Mike saying, look, I really like the, they've got this washing machine in black. I think it looks so cool. And I go, well, Mike, that's really interesting. But, you know, I'm actually really interested in how, how clean my clothes will be, you know, and it's hard for consumers often to speak to those things. Thanks. We do probably have time for one very quick uh, answer, um, but from Michelle Morgan. Um, she would like to hear more examples of stimulating and surprising offers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think the key really is is to think about um, what your product and service is and then to think of ways to surprise positively your customers. I mean, I'll give you a really banal example. When databases first became a cool thing about 25 years ago, um, one of the cool things that people, you know, that organizations used to do is, you know, is send out greetings to their customers, you know, when, when they had their birthday in the database. And so at the beginning, everybody's like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know. Of course, that's now, you know, now we've got data privacy and as an old hat. And so it's like, you know, it's not surprising at all anymore. Uh, another thing that companies used to do, particularly telecommunication, they used to obviously monitor very closely how many calls you were doing. Um, and if they could suddenly... You see there was a huge spike in call activity, particularly international. They could sense that there was something special going on. So some service providers, particularly in the States, what they used to do is they used to literally call up these customers and say, look, we've noticed you're making all these calls. Can we help? Is there a special event like a funeral or a wedding? Can we put you on a different calling plan to make that just a little bit more economical for you? And so I think being seen to act on behalf of the consumer as the brand is really powerful. And so doing the thing that's not expected, I think is really, really useful. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of companies don't do that and they become very passive. And if somebody is on the wrong power plan or cell phone plan or whatever it is, Nobody tells talks that talks to anybody about it because they're happy to happy to get that the revenue in the meantime. But you know the, the word of mouth that you would receive if you proactively approached your customers and said, "Well, actually, we think there's a better power plan for you, and it might be this." Um, you know, I think that would get people talking about it. So even in really mundane categories like utilities, I think there's totally an opportunity to surprise people, and these are pretty you know pretty. Um, not exciting examples I'm giving you. I mean, there's all sorts of other really exciting things you could be doing. So I'm hope, I hope I hope I've answered that a little bit. And hopefully inspired some of our utilities uh, people if they're listening. <laughs> okay, thanks for that, but uh, that concludes our question and answer uh, session. Um, I'd like to thank you again, Butter, for this stimulating session. Kakiteano. <laughs>